Thank you all for coming today. Tenakoto Katoa. I'm Tina Barton, I'm the director of the Adam Art Gallery, and we're here on the last weekend of our current exhibition, Image Processes, Artists in the Medium, A Short History, 1968 to 2020. And I'm joined today with a really stellar panel of speakers, Mark Williams, Nina Tonga, Lawrence MacDonald, and Shannon Ta'ao. Um, I'm so pleased you could come. Thank you. I know this is actually an incredibly busy weekend in Wellington. The film festival's just launched. I think Verb Wellington is underway. Um, and I think it's kind of good that the weather's so lousy, so people don't want to go to the beach. So it's a good reason to be coming to an art gallery spending time with some work and discussing something that's very dear to my heart, which is the subject of today's um, panel discussion, which is to really try and get to the bottom of what video art is. Um, I've got a few words to say by way of introduction. And then the way that it's going to go is that I'm going to ask each of the panelists a question directed to them personally. Um, and then I'm going to ask some sort of more general questions. And I'm hoping that it will be a kind of free-form conversation that will go between us and hopefully engage the audience as well. Um, we're living in COVID times, and thank you all for following the rules and wearing your masks. Um, we've taken them off because we're allowed to, because we're up here and we need to be heard. Um, but uh, thank you for following the rules. But after the talk, we are going to um, pour a glass of wine um, because it is the last weekend of the show and we didn't have an opening and I always love the opportunity of coming together as friends in this space to kind of toast the works that are here. For me this has been an incredibly important and memorable show. It had a slightly shortened run and I must say that it's been quite um, sad to realise that um, not so many people have got to see it because, of course, our friends in Auckland and a little bit further south have not been travelling. And I think there is a general level of caution about mingling as we negotiate this pandemic. So um, all credit to you brave people for coming out and thank you again for, for being here. Um, I'm going to introduce myself and my thinking around what I want to do with this panel discussion, and then I'm going to hand over to each of our speakers to introduce themselves uh, and, and, and then sort of say something about what they think the topic of today's talk is about and what they might bring to that discussion. So I'm not going to introduce them, they're going to do it for themselves and hopefully Hopefully that in its own way will sort of um, galvanise us to think of what is at stake. So I've called the panel discussion what was slash is video art. And I know what it is. I kind of think I do because I've put a show together that uh, canvases what I've called a short history. But in putting together the show, it threw up a whole set of conundra or conundrums that I don't have the answer to. And they're questions that are floated around in my head, uh, which I think these people are going to help me to answer. 
They're questions like, well, you know, for me, video is an art form, a medium that uh, artists took up at a very particular point in time. We're talking about a time of considerable disruption in the art world. And the, the video camera uh, and the video recorder and the monitor became tools for artists who wanted to make art in a different way. They wanted to talk back not only to television, a broadcast medium that was beaming into our homes every day, um, they wanted to talk back to cinema, to, to mainstream Hollywood movies that were conditioning how people saw themselves and thought they should behave. But I think they were also talking back to painting and to traditional media. And they were using a, um, a form that, of image capture that they could control because the technology was relatively inexpensive and they could manipulate it very quickly without a whole lot of extra equipment and gear and people, and they could play it back immediately. And those um, freedoms that it allowed enabled them to engage with content in new and interesting ways. This exhibition only looks at one tiny angle of the spectrum of early video practice. So it doesn't deal with for example, the kind of videos that were made of performances that were live actions that were then recorded. Um, it doesn't actually deal with the documentary tradition of going out into the field and capturing live data that was uh, a direct form of um, representation where people could speak directly to camera and it was captured with a degree of immediacy. This particular exhibition, I think, performs a particular critical role in taking uh, its place in a kind of um, a spectrum of um, possibilities for, for moving image, um, a world of images that they were receiving through what I've called the mass media. And I'm thinking about mainstream television, Hollywood movies, glossy magazines, advertising, the world um, that, as Richard Serra would suggest, has been captured by corporations so that we have become consumers. And they're doing something with that, the material that's out there, intervening in it by repeating it, capturing it, cutting it up, replaying it, restaging it, and then delivering it back. And how they deliver it back, I think, is very important. It can not necessarily be glossy, sheeny, perfect. It can be raw. If you look at the Arthur Jaffer work in the Kirk Gallery, I think the poor quality of the images that he's playing with is part of the aesthetic of the work and part of the politics of what he's actually talking about. Um, and it's also, in this context, presented in an exhibition. And I guess this is one of the key areas that I'm really keen to talk about. We can watch moving images on our computer screens or on our phones or on television monitors 
um, very, very easily. It's a sort of dematerialized medium, right? It can, we can get it and access it. But when it's presented in a gallery, it's presented in a certain way. And I've been at pains in laying out this show to sort of play with different modes of presentation, which I hope will actually enhance the meanings of the work. And I'm, I hope we'll get into a discussion around the difference between watching something on your phone and encountering it on a screen at scale in a gallery in combination with other works. So that's where I'm coming from uh, in terms of believing that there's this critical history that video encapsulates, um, that it can take myriad forms, but in an exhibition space, it's actually, I think, closer to sculpture than it is to a range of other media. And then I guess the other thing that intrigued me is how I accessed the contents of this exhibition. And um, in some ways, how easy it was and how different it is from borrowing fine works of art, painting sculptures that have to be you know, borrowed from an institution with six months notice and all of the other rigmarole that goes into um, the, the, the practices of museums and their, the ways in which they collect objects. And for me, video occupies this really odd situation um, in the art system. Is it a collectible object? Or is it this sort of floating information that can be distributed easily? Um, and what are the differences between those things? And, and how does the art world respond to its particular nature? Because in fact, the art world needs things actually still in a funny sort of way. And then finally, at the very end, I hope that we'll also recognize that video um, was something and maybe we're in a time where the terms in which we understand it have radically changed, and I don't know where it's heading, and I'd love us to sort of, in, sort of try and maybe talk a little bit about that. And I think there might be people in the audience here too who have things to say about that. So that's where I'm coming from. I've probably talked a little bit longer, but I, I hope that you kind of can hear where I'm coming from. And I'm now going to turn over to each of the panel going along the line to do their own mihi and um, tell us a little bit about where they're coming from. So I'm going to just start straight with Mark. Hi, everyone. Uh, called Mark Williams, Aho. Um, I'm the director of Circuit Artist Film Video Aotearoa New Zealand. Um, in preparation for this talk, uh, Tina asked me to describe why I began Circuit. And rather than telling you what Circuit is, maybe I'll tell you the genesis as a way of actually outlining what it is, if you like. So um, I guess my background is in curating, and I began curating in the pre-YouTube era. This is a really interesting divide to me now because it's an era of uh, scarcity and restricted access to works. We take everything for granted now that you can find it so easily. But in the mid-2000s, when I was working as a curator, running the gallery at the New Zealand Film Archive at 84 Taranaki Street, I would read about works uh, that were being shown around the country or internationally and think, I might be interested in showing that, but I, I can't get access to it. It was very frustrating to me. 
And then uh, in 2009, I went and worked for an organization in London called Lux, who were Europe's largest distributor of artists, film, and video. And they said to me, until we met you, we had no idea this kind of work existed in New Zealand. And of course, coming from the archive, I knew there was this history that went back to at least the, the 1970s, uh, up until that point of 2009, and a very vibrant contemporary culture. And I thought, maybe there's an opportunity here to start some sort of platform that showcases this kind of work. Uh, I guess the flip side of that was that I also knew, coming from that institutional background, that there was this whole history that was kind of unarticulated, if you like. And still, there's a history that's unarticulated. You can't see descriptions of a lot of those works in the archive today, which I think is, is really um, a shame, but hopefully something can be corrected later on. So um, Circuit began as a, a way to create some kind of visibility, I guess. And the name circuit meant circulation of knowledge, works, and ideas, opportunities. I put artist, film, and video after circuit because at the time there was an organization called Aotearoa Digital Arts. There still is. Back then, they were a bit more lively. They were very into publishing and annual symposia, which were quite a big deal. Um, and so I saw this kind of um, room for at least two organizations, one dealing with this technologically-led contemporaneity and one perhaps dealing with this film and video materiality. And at the time, um, I remember coming from the Freeze Art Fair in London while I was at Lux and seeing uh, a kind of glut of 16-millimeter projectors chugging their way through 16-millimeter film loops. It was a real fetishization of that kind of technology, presentation method and materiality, if you like. Um, in terms of the question, what was or is video? These days, I think of it as a... A uh, technological term, a container, if you like. Uh, one that doesn't necessarily encapsulate the work, but a representation of it. Um, but like Tina said, I see it sort of originally as a kind of countercultural thing. Um, but also as, I guess, something that had real political uh, significance. And also, even though, Tina, you mentioned um, how it was in a way kind of cheap, it necessitated the forming of collectives often to secure the equipment to make the work. And that created a kind of social dynamic where people would make work, show it to each other, respond to each other's work and so forth. And at the same time, that countercultural idea was embedded in the, the names of a lot of these organizations. So I think of uh, things like the Bay Area Video Coalition, the Auckland Women's uh, Feminist Auckland Women's Feminist Video, I think it was called, uh, Bush Video in Australia. Um, there's all sorts of them. Um, and they have this kind of Marxist political kind of overtone, but instead of, I don't know, polishing AK-47s, they're dubbing pneumatic tapes and showing things to each other and making work and discussing it. So that's maybe a little bit long, but that's my response. Uh, kia ora koutou, malole, malole, My name is Nina, I'm Curator Contemporary Art at Te Papa. Um, and I reflected a lot about the question about what are you bringing, because I think you've always got to say who you're bringing with you and what are you bringing to today. And thinking about video art, and I've been juggling about what I know about video art as a curator and art historian, but also my lived experience of video. You know, like I grew up in Auckland um, in, in the late 80s, 90s, and 
was really attached, and I think this must be in a practice around recording music videos. You know, you often got the bit of the ad and then the music video, and you always waited for the Saturday morning music shows because you were going to watch music videos. And so you, I've always had this association of video with being something quite accessible, although a VHS player wasn't as accessible growing up. But when you got it, you loved it. It cost about a thou, which is a bit ridiculous when you think about it now. But you know, it, it was a thing that we all did collectively, but we were taping what was what we liked, but what we valued. And we prayed that our parents didn't tape over it with like, I don't know, the news or something. And so there was this long for me, as a, like in terms of my own understanding of video, understanding it as a lived thing. It wasn't something that I read about and knew. I knew what a tape looked like. I knew um, that people were using it as a communicative tool. And I think um, that is what I've always loved about video, that it is something that has been accessible beyond the confines of a gallery, that people are bringing a cultural capital that is different to, say, a painting, which has some exclusivity. People may not understand how to interpret an oil painting or a particular historical period, but they know because of their own exposure in their own homes around what a TV and a monitor does and that you're watching something that unfolds over a duration. So I think in terms of thinking around video art as a contemporary art curator now, um, one of the critiques I got in a show was that I put too much video work in, and then they thought that that was an economic decision, that because I didn't have a lot of freight, did I just put heaps of video in? <laughs> Little did they know I asked for new projectors and that cost more than freight. So, you know, I, I found it quite interesting that I've always had a kind of leaning towards video and moving image, and that perhaps comes from not a gallery training, but from having enjoyed music videos growing up. And I think what I'm bringing to this um, panel talk today around moving image and about video art is also knowing to uh, a kind of more a need to try and insert yourself within a big field of representation. And for Pacifica people particularly, it's been a tool that's allowed people to recreate their own image and to recreate their own stories. And so one of my favorite kind of time in Aotearoa's history was around music videos, around hip hop that came up in the Urban Pacifica movement and thinking about things like Sister Un Sisters Underground and Greg Semu making music videos, which um, people don't often remember that he was part of that whole movement. But also thinking about Moisner and they were making videos out in West Auckland and just feeling very validated that I was watching a music show that I also recognised. So I think I'm thinking around what I'm bringing to is thinking around how different communities, different um, particular groups engage with the medium, how they're trying to at some times revision that representation, they're trying to insert and create uh, critique in the flow. And as a curator, what I'm really mindful of, and I'm hoping, like Tina, that we're answering, I don't think we're going to answer all the questions. I think it's that we show an intent to stay in the conversation around how you grapple with the edges of video art, because it is not so easy to package, and you probably know this well. You know, it's probably not a straightforward medium. It goes into installation, goes into sound-only works, it goes into dependent on only this type of monitor um, that perhaps will be obsolete in a few years. So it has so much complexity in it, and I think the, the kind of tackle of obsolescence is something that should be on all of the kind of glam sector's mind, is how you continually um, tackle that. But in the same breath, if I talk about technicality, what I also want to be mindful of is that that's quite a limited convo, so it needs to be attached to a conversation about 
video and moving image in relation to it being a cultural practice and it being enmeshed in the ethics and the politics of which it circulates. So it's a really rich area and I wish we had 10 more of these panels. So <laughs> kia ora. Hi, uh, kia ora koutou. Uh, I'm Lawrence MacDonald. I've worked as a curator of, of video art uh, and, and a writer. If I, if I consider the question, what is, what was video art? When I curated the first exhib major exhibition of video art, I, I suppose the question, what is video art, was paramount in my mind. Prior to that, I had, um, as, as the editor of a, uh, of, a, of a moving image publication known as Illusions, I had I was determined to um, expand the field of that and include uh, not just film but video as well, right from incep the inception of it. And I published a, a number of pieces and wrote some of them myself. I did interview quite a number of visiting international video artists, and uh, and that gave me a kind of sense of the um, of the growing interest in it internationally. And uh, also, I became aware of I, I think what I would call a resurgence because. Uh, I think there was quite a lot of, um, of work being done, a lot of work being made in the 90s, and uh, the people who made it weren't necessarily, didn't necessarily conceive themselves as purely video artists, but video was a big part of what they did. So, as I say, the question, what is video art, was, uh, was, was, a, was uppermost in my mind. And an opportunity arose uh, to put together um, an exhibition of video art, which would be a which would be part of a, a three-part exhibition, uh, would broadly could be described as art to Germany, and uh, the three components of that was a an exhibition called Cultural Safety. The second one was a uh, exhibition of the work of the photographer Peter Perrier, and, and initially they were the two exhibitions which were going to go to Germany, but because of interest in Germany, uh, they uh, I think requested pretty much a video art show, so I was asked to put that together. So I, I worked on that. And um, because it, it was essentially going to begin in Germany, it, it meant that uh, the work had to be quite portable and transportable. So it was essentially single channel video and compilations. And uh, when it returned to New Zealand, and it went to three venues when it did, that's the way it was shown. Now, a number of problems arose from that, and I think if we've only got to look at this exhibition now to see how important it is to exhibit video in the way it's being exhibited here. And, and you have the extent of the whole gallery being used and different configurations for, putting, for, for exhibiting the work. Now, that wasn't the case for VDU. Uh, and I won't dwell on it here, but uh, I had reports. One of, one of the artists whose work I commissioned had quite strong connections with Germany. He, he was actually uh, lecturing at Canterbury University, but he was married to a German woman because he'd studied uh, video in a, at a postgraduate level in, in Germany. And he went over there and he, he came back and gave me a report upon how this exhibition had been uh, staged. And it was less than satisfactory, really. And the other thing that was, uh, was uh, disturbing about it was I put together this very substantial catalogue. Uh, it was an enormous amount of work and it was very substantial. And, and the documentation it did of that particular moment in the, in the evolution of video in New Zealand is, is quite important. But because of the nature of technology, okay, a file was sent over there. That was going to take a while to get there. Uh, 
by mail. So uh, I, I made use of an hour obsolete form of technology known as the fax machine, and I faxed the entire thing from the City Gallery, Wellington, to Germany, and on the understanding that they were going to um, put, you know, use that as the basis to put together a, a high-quality catalogue, and of course, which they didn't. They simply took the fax pages, stapled them together, and put them in the space. <laughs> so uh, that was highly... <laughs> Highly disappointing, but, 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 but the good news is, is that when it returned to New Zealand, I managed to persuade the director of the City Art Gallery that really, we've got to do this properly and you know, you've got to dig into your budget. And they did, and so it does exist. Uh, I might, in a moment, show you what it looks like. But. So that was good news, but perhaps less good news was the way, in, it, in its New Zealand tour, was the way it was exhibited at the City Gallery. Uh, I, I could read from you too. First of all, I wrote a, a, a three-page letter to the director of the, uh, of the City Gallery um, talking about how disappointed I was about how it was being exhibited. Simultaneously, Phil Dadson sent me his own copy of the letter he was sending to the director of the City Gallery. And I, I might later on, if we have a moment, read you a passage from that. So uh, on the one hand, it's great that the, 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 the catalogue is published, but not so great that it was exhibited. So it's out of that experience that uh, a number of things arose. When I did my next exhibition, which is known as Paleo Neo Video, chapters from the history of New Zealand video art, 1970s slash 1990s, that particular exhibition, I was determined that it was going to be done properly, in the sense that the way I think video should be exhibited, like it is here. And I'd have to, and I worked with the New Zealand Film, Film Archive, as it was known then. And uh, this exhibition took place inside the New Zealand Film Archive in various spaces, and it also took place outside the, the, the Film Archive, in what was known as the former James Smith's building. I won't go into the details of that, but uh, that was a highly satisfactory um, experience in terms of the way it was exhibited. Now, that, that uh, particular exhibition grew out of a in-between VDU, as my German exhibition was called, and uh, recent video art from New Zealand. That was the subtitle of it. In between that and Paleo Neo Video, I, uh, I received a, I applied for a grant called a Curators Writers Project Grant Initiative. They were going to give out three, um, three grants out to people who applied for it, and I got one of the three. And my application, the purpose of that was to co collect and preserve the, what I call the heritage of New Zealand video art, in other words, early video art. So that was a, um, an archival project, and that was to be deposited in the film archive, and it was all, would also inaugurate the film archive's engagement with video. Hitherto, their focus, understandably, had been film. Now it was going to be joined by video. And so that was the main purpose of it. So that's in the, in the, in the gap between VDU and Paleoneo. But the outcome of that was the exhibition Paleoneo video. And if we think about the film archive, their, um, their brief is, was, certainly I would say, was to collect, protect, and project. And all those three things would connect. So in, in the diagram that the archive established. That's what they were to do. So I began that project with initially uh, collecting, getting in touch with video artists from the past, acquiring their, their works, and then the next stage was um, protection, in other words preservation, and that involved quite a lot of elaborate um, work with um, international organisations, and I could 
speak about that a bit later. And then, of course, the final phase is project, and that is the exhibition. So um, that's how that project uh, culminated. And then out of, out of that, the exhibition itself uh, didn't have a, a, a consolidated catalogue which, which was printed, but it did have uh, various uh, individual sheets which covered uh, the, the exhibition. So there was a, a, a catalogue as such, but it wasn't brought together into one space. But then later on, uh, I, um, I compiled a, quite a large catalogue of artists' holdings. This, was, this, this exhibition was in 1999, and, and uh, by... Uh, Sometime in 2000, the, um, the catalogue of the holdings of the archive was put together. I, I did that in collaboration with the registrar of the, um, of the film archive, who also happens to be my partner, so that was, uh, that was quite easy to, to do that. And so I'll, I'll, I will, I'll stop at that point because um, uh, other points can emerge later. Kia ora koutou, ko Shannon te ao, toki noa, nō tupuna au, nā te tūwhare tōa me te pāpaka a Māui. Thanks to Tina and the Adam for having me today. Great to be on the panel with everyone here, Mark, Nina and Lawrence. Nā mihi, koutou. Yeah, I guess I'm kind of thinking about where Nina led off, actually, or my kind of first experiences with the term were actually just like holding a video tape. I remember um, I remember when our household first got one. I remember what it was for us to go and rent a video together. Uh, and I remember how that kind of, I guess maybe sparked a bit of a transformation in our kind of consumption of visual materials. Certainly how we kind of navigate things like movies, film and television. And so I kind of, when I think about the, the term, I go all the way back there, and I guess there's a couple things out of that that I still recognise and still consider when I'm making my own work or considering other people's work is that, you know, maybe, I guess one is the idea that um, the audience was kind of perhaps more crudely described, but kind of more simply to articulate, more simple to articulate when we're all watching pretty much the same TV at the same time, albeit in our own lounge rooms, we were kind of doing the same thing together in a different way, in a very different way than we are now. Um, I also kind of recognise the term video as being a kind of fundamental amalgamation of sound and image. You know, it's different from... Um, the early instances of film where film was just visuals and, uh, you know, the sound would be uh, supported in other ways. Video was, I guess, a moment that was accessible to all of us where those two things are joined. They are kind of complete. Um, as an artist, and I, I guess I call myself an artist who works in video based upon that premise, not necessarily... I recognise the medium but I like to work in other ways as well. Um, as an artist, I think my kind of... Uh, what compelled me to, uh, to work with video grew out of just the simple requirement to kind of document things, document things I made, document the things that I would observe in the world that would inform uh, other aspects of my studio activity, which I guess um, informed a couple of 
transformations in the way I approach making work, which is, uh, I guess I'd kind of loosely describe it as documented performance art, kind of embodied performances that uh, would happen off-site or kind of in a location that needed, that needed to be recorded, needed to be kind of shared. And so that was a kind of means to do that. At the same time, I was kind of turned on by seemingly how efficient a medium it was. For me, it was kind of mind-blowing to shoot five minutes of footage and uh, be in a position afterwards where that five minutes would have me scratching my head for <laughs> weeks upon end or something like that, you know. So that kind of exchange still, still compels me to come back to the medium. And uh, I guess as a viewer, I'm also kind of interested in that. In my own work, it, I suppose it prompts decisions that um, might encourage kind of focus in the imagery that I work with. I feel like the stories that I tell in my work are becoming smaller and smaller and smaller, in fact, because of that. And I, I would explicitly acknowledge that as being kind of tied to my interest in that, I guess, dynamic between kind of what you should and what you eventually might get out of that, that kind of, I don't want to use the word surplus because that makes me feel icky, but surely that's probably a term that will float around somewhere in our conversation today. Um, uh, and then I guess the other thing that I wanted to kind of talk about initially was, uh, I guess as an artist and as a viewer, um, I guess the medium of video art, and this is a great example of it, I'm invested in the performativity in the exchange. And, um, you know, some of the things that we've been talking about this week in our email threads and the things we've been sharing, uh, talk about the simple fact that people can come and go as they please in a different way. Um, and uh, I guess to kind of complete your acceptance of the image is actually a little bit more difficult, perhaps, in that sense. And so the kind of terms of engagement seem a little bit more kind of in flux, interchangeable. And I'm, I guess I'm kind of into that, uh, whether I'm watching work or, or making it. Um, and then the last thing that I wanted to talk about, which is in response to one of the prompts that you said earlier this week, Tina, was this kind of like, and this will be something we talk about in more detail, I'm sure. I'm sure can, can the work exist kind of um, outside of its, what do I say, unique context or something like that. You know, we can share this stuff. In fact, here's a funny story. I get paid more as an artist the less people see my, like the, if the, the fewer people that are actually able to see my work generally kind of coincides with me getting a higher artist fee. If people want to screen something online, that's when I get paid the least and it's like the most freely available. Um, and then in a place like this, uh, yeah, it's kind of, a, I, I guess my kind of contribution in that sense is uh, described in a, in a different way, you know. But uh, the point I was really trying to make just now is I'm still invested in the visceral experience of artwork. And just because, you know, if I think about just watching TV, to kind of accept that is still a kind of embodied kind of thing, you know. Um, it's, a, it's a visual kind of medium and also a sonic one, but I think to kind of actually deal with it is still primarily something quite physical 
in fact, you know. And so in my work and in this, inst uh, in this exhibition, it plays out simple things like spatializing the work and just uh, the sound of a piece. Um, they all kind of still, um, I guess, lead uh, a lot of my logic when I'm kind of making work and certainly um, developing installations. And there's something in that. I, I guess I'm kind of conceptually, what I'm into as a person is like the idea that kind of, you know, spiritual change, mental change actually starts from something inside us that a little cog that turns, which primarily is maybe some little physical spark, actually. I don't know how you all would want to describe it for yourselves, but I'm still kind of into that idea. And so that I guess the primacy of kind of being, some, being in front of something is still, I guess, one of the things that I hold as significant as an artist. And I might just leave it there. Thank you all for those really useful words of introduction and in fact we've already touched on so many of the things that I want to deal with. I think as the discussion unfolds I want to keep on testing definitions. You know I want to really tease out what is video art. I also really want to sort of grapple with its thingness, its sort of ontological status. You know what is it, what, what is it? Um, in and of itself. And then I think you guys have raised some really interesting ideas. One around economics, you know, how is it valued? Um, and one around politics. And I just love your stories of, you know, when the family got a video recorder, because I remember it too, and it was probably a bit earlier than you guys. My father bought a very early video recorder. He spent a huge amount of money. I think it was something like $5,000. It was really, really expensive because they were very, very new. And one of the great pleasures that they took in having a video recorder was that they could tape the program they wanted to watch and then fast forward through the ads. <laughs> and it was sort of like a talking back to the Richard Serra, which is in a way the coda to this exhibition where Sarah is talking about the ways in which we are turned into consumers in front of a television set. You know, once you had the video recorder, you could turn that messaging off. Of course, the other programs are also beaming in and, and convincing us to, that, you know, that we should behave in certain ways, for sure. But there was this moment of control that my family could exert over what was coming in and I think that was that was really interesting and really important and before I ask specific questions just a couple of other anecdotes which really do relate to what people have said one of the first jobs I had was in the research library at the Auckland Art Gallery working with Ron Brownson who was the librarian there but also a video artist in his own right and he had a back room in the library that was chock-a-block with actual umatic and VHS tapes. And he actually had a relationship with Darcy Lange, who was a very important pioneering video artist. And Darcy used to come and visit to sort of check out his array of tapes. So my early memory of video was these things, these objects, these very, these things that needed these particular machines to, to make them work, um, they didn't, they had information on them um, that didn't 
give you any of the visual pleasure that you get when you just look at a painting. You know, the painting's just there. It doesn't, you know, you know, it's not, you don't have to unpack it or put it into a machine to make it play. Um, uh, but of course, all of that has changed. And, and one of the insights that I've come to in doing this exhibition is that early video had this sort of material and technical quality which has been superseded by the change to digital. So in effect, are we dealing here with um, a fiction of video art in that it's not the real thing? And I wonder what the real thing is. So that comes back to ontology, I suppose. Um, the other thing that I wanted to say about this exhibition and what I wanted it to offer is that opportunity to see more than the still um, that you might have encountered in a book, reading about it, or um, the, the actual opportunity to see something from beginning to end. And um, the reminder that um, to catch a still of a, of a video, and I'm thinking in particular of the Dara Birnbaum that I had seen in books on, you know, contemporary art through um, my studies in art history, but then to encounter it on a monitor, actually in the Metropolitan Museum, and it was just blasting away. Um, the visuals were blasting away, but the other thing that was so important about it was the sound. And I love your, your comment, Shannon, that it's image and sound, um, that the two things together are what make video. Um, Mark, I want to ask you a question, sort of, um, that, that comes out of this and is related to my questioning of what video is. You've got a, um, an organization that's dedicated to collecting, presenting, distributing artists, film and video. I also know that you're about to sort of change your name to Moving Image. So artist film, video, moving image. What are the differences between those things, or related to that, is moving image the master term that incorporates those other things? And is there any point in holding on to this term video? Well, yes, we're going to change our name to just circuit artists moving image because the technologies and platforms by which artists produce work, disseminate work, have shifted. Um, particularly with the development of the internet um, and social media platforms since the circuit began. Um, so it seems that we should uh, uh, make a space whereby those sorts of practices should be represented. Um, I don't know, Tina, for me, what's most interesting is the idea of what was the promise of video. Mm. And um, when I think about contemporary artists today, I think about somebody like Rangi Tuya Hollis, who uh, is an iterative artist who you know, keeps remaking a work. Um, it makes it also in text form as well as video. But also Rangituya shares his work in development online as a way to, in part, uh, speak to his students and educate them and bring them into the work. Um, so I think one of the promises of video was to question this idea of the sort of supremacy of the individual work, if you like, and open up this kind of uh, possibility. Um, 
I don't spend much time in a way thinking about this kind of like what, I'm more interested in the uh, instrumental instrumentaliz instrumentalization of it for these I guess political and social um, purposes. Is it fair to talk about video being exported from your computer now? Is that still a video? Well, that's that's what I'm really curious about. Um, is I had a nice in interchange with Martha Rossler in putting this show together and I had on the description said video transferred to digital and she questioned me on that and she's absolutely right she said the only way that that would make sense because everything's digital now the only way that that would make sense if it's if you said videotape transferred to digital and I went a light bulb went on in my head because I thought oh okay so you know the early video um, there was a certain kind of camera, you know, a certain kind of processor and a certain kind of um, mechanism to deliver the image. Okay, well now we, I mean, yes, well definitely, oh sorry, I interrupted. Okay, no, no, go, go. Well, I mean, going back to the videotape, if you, if you had um, fiddled around with the videotape and flicked up the little tab and pulled out the thing, oh, that's pretty good, and mum and dad had wound it back in, you put it in and it would still play, but maybe go, Ugh. so... That's one material element, I guess, but if you uh, get into the code of the digital file and scramble it out, then it's going to go. <laughs> so uh, there is a difference there, yeah. Um, in that way, I guess video is a bit like film. It, it carries the kind of uh, legacy of its previous screenings. You see tram lines in film, and dust and dirt. Um, so maybe, yeah video carries the legacy of its playback. I like that, I like that notion, because I also wondered whether you're using video as you might use the term painting, or sculpture, or photography. Those are sort of meta terms that carry with them their own histories, right? Maybe that's what video has become. Video is this sort of meta term for a certain kind of image that is played back to us in different settings and circumstances that can be distributed. Um, and, it, and it has a set of meanings, but it can take a variety, it can be digital, it can be analog, it can be this, that, or the other on a screen. Um, maybe, that, maybe it's a sort of meta term that is, still has a usefulness. I think, that, I think that's what Martha Rossler was saying to me. Video is, this, is the medium, the videotape is the actual I don't know, format, the, the thing. And that's, that's a difference that I hadn't quite twigged to. I found that very helpful. Um, I don't know if anyone else has got any. Yeah, um, I'll just, um, I'll refer to um, the final question in an interview conducted in 1997 by Tessa Laird with me uh, in, in the inaugural issue of Log Illustrated, which is called the video issue. So it's interesting that, a, that a, an arts publication in New Zealand decides for its inaugural issue to call it the video issue, and the entire issue is devoted to video. And in it, um, in the uh, contents page, she said, on page so-and-so, for, now get this, for art history buffs, I interview video buff Lawrence MacDonald. Now, I'm not sure what an art history buff is. Uh, I've never heard the term and, until I read it there, but the term video buff might make more sense only along the lines that it's an analogy with a film buff. Now, I personally don't have a lot of affection for the term film buff, 
and when it comes to film, I, I, I say, if you're going to talk about film in relation to me, then I'm, 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 I'm possibly three things simultaneously, a film scholar, a film critic, and a film historian. But I'm not a film buff, and I'm certainly not a video buff, whatever that might mean. But anyway, uh, it was a very interesting interview, and the final question was this, because the, the, the interview was called No Dodo, because um, she asked this question. Given the influence of new technology, remember this is in 1997, it's not in 2021. Given the influence of new technology, do you think that video is a dodo? Now, I think that question is problematic in the sense that it equates video with a particular iteration or manifestation of it, whether it be VHS or, or whatever. Whereas video, from its Latin roots, just simply means to see, okay? And there are, I think if, if you're a videoist like Gary Hill, he would downplay the, um, the notion of, of, of vision as being central to video and play up the idea of time, time-based duration. There are all kinds of ways of looking at video, but I don't think you can equate it uh, with, with, you know, like a particular version of it, which then is suddenly being made obsolete by new technological developments. And it's the same thing with, um, you know, the transition from a kind of videotape, a VHS videotape, to a, to a, a, a DVD. Uh, the VHS, some people would call video, and the DVD they would call, I don't know, the DVD. But, of course, they're both instances of video. Video persists beyond its, the technical versions that it does. From the early 1950s up until the present, there's been an extraordinary turnover of formats. They are coming from companies such as Sony, um, JVC, uh, and various other companies, which have, and, and, and the company that produced, uh, uh, you know, Betamax, Betacam, that kind of thing. They're, they're all, if you like, it, it's quite common for technologies. The same thing happened in film. There, there were things happening in the early, early days of film where, where people are developing things independently of each other, and slight, they differ slightly in, the, in terms of their gauges and what have you. And you can see that there. It's replicated in video with a huge turnover of formats. And so, therefore, the question, will video become a dodo? This is what, I, I, I might just read my answer. I think it's an okay answer. I don't think it will become any more a dodo than photography and film will. As it's always been a part of other things, that's video, it will hang in there. Clearly there will be changes. The interesting thing about video, which affects my project quite markedly, is a rapid turnover of formats. In a short space of time, many are made obsolete, and part of my project is to note, collect, and preserve that work. Film, in comparison, has been relatively stable with standard formats. Now what we're getting is either the interface or the contamination of film, video, and photography. I'm referring here to the use of digital effects in all three media. It's clearly affecting everything, but it's not doing away with anything. So, dodo no. That was my final, that was my final <laughs> answer. <laughs> so, dodo no. And, and so I, I think um, it's still... It survives its various iterations. Now, I, just one little addition to Tina describing the library of um, the Auckland City Art Gallery. Yes, um, I can understand the kind of, you know, co collectors, you know, I wouldn't say fetishization, but worship of the, of the original format. But I think, you know, fine, okay, that's what the work was made on, low band umatic, okay, three quarter inch. You know, this, this physical I discussed with Phil Ladson that, you know, this is going to be in Paleo Neo and it's going to be in a public space. It's going to be uh, situated in the Janssen's building on the, sec on the first floor, not the ground floor, outside Evolution Gym, because I think of the, 
if, if, you, if you know the work, it's a highly appropriate setting for it. So there's going to be this huge case, you know, and we're going to have the monitors in that. And, um, you know, people who, who know about the exhi exhibition will be able to go and see it, but also people going to Evolution Gym might pause. And, because one of, the, one of the reasons why I got the grant from Creative New Zealand in terms of their press release about giving the grants was that they wanted to make art more accessible, and hence they were attracted to my proposal, you know, because this was going to make art more accessible, and I, I hope it did. But Phil had also great difficulty in getting those, those, uh, those, those tapes from the Auckland Art Gallery, because what he wanted to do was obviously have them restored. And, and the thing is, that part of that is obviously going to involve transference into another format of it. And I, and I don't think Ron was very comfortable with that. That was the work. You know what I mean? And, and you know, whereas I think with Phil Dadson, the, the interesting thing about Phil Dadson is he's, he's, he's not particularly wedded. You know, this is the kind of what I, technology I had to work with when I made it, but now I don't work with that technology. But I'm also concerned that it, it look as good as possible. And therefore, you know, I'm in discussion with the film archive, we managed to agree that the archive would pay for this work to be restored in Auckland in a high end unit and made, made a vote for the exhibition. But it was a very long and protracted process to get that done. That's so interesting. So, Shannon, when you sell a work, a video, a, a, oh, a moving go. image work, <laughs> if you, I'm sure, I'm sure you Getting to the good it. stuff now. Um, what do you hand over to the museum? Um, all kinds of things. Uh, depends what they want, really, but essentially what it is is in whatever format it is, and I can, I'll, maybe I'll talk about those. Essentially, the, the ambition behind whatever format it is or what uh, container it goes in is that they have access to that work in perpetuity. Um, and, well, I've done all kinds of crazy stuff, actually. Um, I've passed off an envelope with a USB stick in it before. I felt embarrassed about that. I still feel embarrassed. It's about very normal. That. It's all good. Sorry if that was anyone in here. I don't think it was. I've also like made uh, like edition boxes and things like that. And I've actually seen people get quite a kick out of that because then, and this is. I think this actually relates back to the the term video. Um, people enjoy adding to their collection, you know. And I think like, you know. Parts of the work are intangible, but still people enjoy adding more to their stack, you know, and uh, artworks, videotapes, cassette tapes, records, whatever it is. I think um, in my experience with my own work anyway, like the, the actual stuff, the box, is, is about kind of satisfying, I guess, that, that um, desire in people. It's just like... I love having something to put with the rest of my video arts or put the next record in along in its spot on the shelf or something like that, you know? And so, um, in terms of IP, that's what it's about. There's the thing, you can have it forever, and I'll give you the tools to remake it, really, if you need to. So, Nina, collecting video, it's, it's an area that, um, obviously, museums are required or expected or should be doing. Um, we have uh, a moving image collection as part of the university's art collection and it was, um, 
it's only just begun, and of course we have very particular constraints with a collection that hangs in public spaces around a university and not in museum conditions, so sound is a real issue for us. We've bought quite a few silent videos because they're easy to put out into spaces. Um, they don't irritate people who are trying to work underneath them or whatever. Um, but, you know, that, that business of, of, of figuring out how to do it and what it is that you're getting and how you can build in um, the, you know, the coping with the redundancy of the technology and this rapid turnover that Shannon's talking about. Um, you know, how are you approaching this as a, as a museum curator? Mm. Um, and I think video, and it's really interesting that we're juggling with the terms as we're going to keep on having these terms. And I really like this panel because it kind of reflects everybody that's going to shape it. And one that I always um, rely on is the artist. If the artist goes, it's a moving image, then it's a moving image. If it's a video, it's a video. And I also want to acknowledge that video as a term and as a thing exists in its currency outside. You know, like people say TikTok videos. They don't say TikTok moving images. Like they have a, they kind of got a, it's got a life that we have to reflect in the museum, which I think is really important. But in terms of the process of collecting video um, uh, at Te Papa, um, and that is in my area, but it's also in Megan Tamati Quinnell. So it's not just one curator, which I think is a good thing because it does need a village. But there's also just not enough and. Um, it requires so much more than a normal collecting area. So the way that it's been treated for a long time is like it is like another area of art collection. It's like sculpture, it's like painting, but it actually isn't. It really requires expertise that are going to have to require a rethinking around the collection or collecting video. It's going to need a digital conservator. We don't have one. If you know one, let me know. I know there's some at the, um, the film archive and places, but a dedicated um, digital conservator to help us manage the collection. But also the idea of the, the fact that the collection requires ongoing care that's quite different. It's not just getting it a beautiful storage box. <laughs> like we'd probably get Shannon's box and keep the box, but we'd be really worried about the USB stick. So we need to preserve it in a different way than um, other people would. We also need to make sure that we have an ongoing relationship with artists. And that's one, to capture the intentionality. So whether they wanted it to be experienced in a particular way, or if they wanted very specific technical things, like they wanted a particular monitor, and it's always on that monitor. So while we're collecting files, we're also collecting on the other side the intangible parts of that, how it should be displayed, and what degree of variation they will allow for. Because you try and think about those things in advance so you don't trouble an artist later, but also so that it could be loaned out, so that a collection is accessible in a way. So there is, I think, with um, collecting video, we um, kind of umbrella it under time media arts, and that's something that the glam sector, not just in Aotearoa, but around the world are trying to grapple with, is how do you manage a collection that has times of duration, and when we're umbrellaing it that way, we allow for um, its, spe its specific needs, you know, like, and we also can be more adventurous. We're talking here about video that comes in on a VHS or perhaps shot on a camera, but it also allows us to open up to machinima 
into cameraless video. And that's something that we're not collecting yet, but something that artists are, are playing with. So for us to be able to keep on collecting, it's going to require a, a different process of its care as well but also uh, uh, investment, I think, because we've got works that I think were VHS to begin with that have been transferred digitally, works that came in on a monitor, now the monitors can't work, so we've got a problem solve monitors that can't work anymore, so you embed perhaps a flat screen behind a monitor. So it actually is going to be an area for us that requires not just buying more, but investing more in its care. And I think that, and that's a bit of a passion of mine, which is why I was really happy to see a show like this, because it helps to surface so much of what's unique about video arts, is that it requires so many different kind of modes, lots of um, technical things to make it work. But that also is something that we're all quite familiar with. It's something that I think they're, I'm hoping, I really wish, Tina, that we were, not in the situation we're in, because I do think that so many people would have come to see the show. They're rare. They're rare to have a show that's focused just on the medium of video. It's the only way we're going to get Richard Serra in the building, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> can, I, can I ask Shannon a question? Shannon, when you sell a work, are you selling the work or are you selling the right to show the work? I guess the second, really. Yeah. yeah. I think that relates to what Tina was saying yeah, as well. Uh, and I would also say, yeah, I'd echo all the things that Nina said. In my experience, I actually enjoy those conversations about the future-proofing of the work, not just the files, but my intentions around installation and display and things like that. And so, um, yeah, uh, that is a big part of what we would talk about if there was an acquisition. I, I just wonder, early video, if you were watching it in its original format, does it have particular aesthetic qualities that are lost when it's transferred to digital? Is, is there a, a, a loss of quality or a change? And if we're true video historians, should we somehow be um, mourning that loss or do we just get past it? Is it, you know, is that not where the value lies in the aesthetic, the grain, I suppose, of the work? Well, I'll, I'll, by way of answering that, and I, I think we, we can't lose sight of this, I'll read to you from a letter by a man called John Daniel who worked as a video, or works as a video engineer for the National Film and Television Archive, the British Film Institute National Film and Television Archive in the UK. This is a, this is a letter he wrote to us at the Film Archive um, in uh, 1998. Because in the case of Andrew Drummond's work, um, in that shot on Sony Portapak, half-inch open reel, real difficulty in getting machines. I mean, the, 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 this was one of the major problems with, with, um, with early video in New Zealand, is that, okay, if, you, if you're gonna find out what the aesthetic qualities of these early videos are, you have to have something to play them back on so you can see <laughs> them in the first place. If you can't locate these machines, you're in trouble. We couldn't, for Andrew Drummond. We cannot look at this work now. Okay, we might have seen it earlier, what have you, but we can't see it now. So, okay, you're gonna put your feelers out, and in the case of the BFI National Film Television Archive, that's where it looked the most promising place. St two, uh, two tapes were sent. Uh, 
this is what, I won't read the whole thing, but there's a work of Andrew Drummond's I wanted to program for Paleo Neo called Walking. That was placed in a um, street level, there was a, a shop called Magazines and they had a great big window um, which, by, by the footpath. And um, there was a number of works programmed there and I wanted to program Walking in it, but I, we had to, to get a viewable copy of Walking. This is what he wrote. The final title was the worst. This is Walking. It refused to play despite, and this is with a machine that can play it. It refused to play despite trying all the above methods. As a last ditch attempt, and with your permission, we baked the tape to try and make it more slippery and made some modifications to the player. It played through in one pass with some disturbance at the end when it finally jammed and would not play again. So that's the end of that tape. It will never be played again but it's been transferred. And hey, it ended up in the Paleo Neo video show. And, you know, somebody could go to Vaxess in Auckland and uh, have a look at it in a, on a viewing copy. But there was one chance. And uh, with the grace of God, it, 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 it survived that process. So that's what I think you're up against. And that's what, I mean, in, in the case of another work, um, it was a work by a fairly obscure uh, person, but it's, I think, a remarkable work called Do You Want to Dance by Mike Sikolsky. It's quite a lengthy work, and it's quite remarkable. It's got remarkable qualities. But it was rescued from underneath his bed in Wadestown. That's how, our, our, how it was discovered, uh, amongst no other works by him. I happened to know him, and I, I repeatedly tried to get up there and get them, and I finally did, so I, I, I retrieved these tapes. But unfortunately, when they were transferred, um, there was certain decay on, on it. And, but I decided to, I, the whole work had to be played. You can't just play out an extract from it that looks good. So I just played it with the decayed parts in it. And hey, I'm thinking of a film like Bill Morrison's Decazio. You know, it's cool to watch decayed stuff. Um, you know, I don't know if you've seen that film, but it's, it's really about the whole, the idea of decay with moving images as an aesthetic in itself. And so uh, it played and it had decay in it, but I think it was worth it. I agree. I just read an article that was called The Right to Decay, and it was about um, ephemeral art, and I just thought, yeah, sometimes like, there's things we've got to accept around the media. And I do feel like when and we were e editing um, Lemmy Ponifacio's huge um, digital installation, and some of the bits were amazing on one end because they were shot more recently, but there were things that were grainy, and I just go, but that's just how it was, yeah. you know, like, that is an aesthetic that we kind of accepted, obviously our eyes are trained to accept different kinds of standards, but I do think it's important we preserve that set of aesthetics that allowed that video to be something that we enjoyed and we were familiar with. You, look, it's so interesting. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about economics and sort of the art system because, Shannon, your suggestion that what you're selling to the museum is the rights to the film. When a painter paints a painting and sells it to the collection, they're not selling, they're selling an object and it's a singular thing and you guys can own it, they may still have the copyright to its reproduction, right? Um, when I was putting this show together, I was fascinated by the fact that the Dara Birnbaum work, which is one of the most famous works of video art in, the, you know, in, in history, is owned by, I don't know, 20 institutions around the world. And I could have gone to the Museum of Modern Art and borrowed the Dara Birnbaum or another institution, but 
I also, because of its video, was able to go to one of the distribution agencies um, that actually lists it in uh, a different way, more like a library where you borrow it to show it. Now, Mark, you run an organization that is, you know, serving that function as a distributor, um, as, a, as a lender. You know, in a, in a sort of ideal world, couldn't we all just put all of the videos into your repository and then when we want to borrow them, we borrow them? Um, why won't that happen in the arts, in the arts system? Or should it happen, or could it happen? Uh, you mean like in terms of like how Circuit streams like hundreds of videos online? Why why wouldn't every video be in that space? Yeah, streaming. Yeah, and and I mean basically, I'm I'm suggesting that it would do Shannon out of an income. You wouldn't be able to sell. You would sell it to one source. You know, it's like why do we have to have Netflix and Neon and Disney and everything else? Why don't we just have one big library in the sky, and we just pay a bit to 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 watch a program? I mean, there's an economic, there's a there's a there's a there's a financial, a financialization of the products that artists are making, that secures them a livelihood, and grants the work a certain value, which in a way is running counter to or parallel with the sort of service that you're providing? Yeah, I guess it's, um, well, it's a matter of these questions like, uh, what is the nature of the work? And Shannon's talked about um, being deeply invested in a kind of sculptural aspects of the work um, and the site-specific aspects to a work as well. That's, that's what makes the work. And I suppose the age we're moving into now and why not every artwork ever made on moving image in Aotearoa is on circuit is because uh, maybe some artists are thinking we're taking it, we're kind of ignoring the experience of going to places like the Adam. Um, and so there's perhaps a pulling back. I mean, the stakes change over time, you know, like uh, at the very beginning of circuit, you know, we're talking about how there wasn't, you know, in this international context, perhaps such an awareness of this breadth of practice here. And now, you know, Circuit has all these relationships with international people who are interested in content from here and so forth. And so maybe that uh, scale of availability will change to some degree. Um, but essentially what Circuit is doing, I mean, everything about video is completely analogous to art history. Uh, I mean, when you study art history, you don't usually study the works per se, you study representations of them. You study a plate a reproduction. On circuit, what you study is a compressed piece of video, something that is there for research and study. And the danger, and I'm sure Shannon knows this full well, is that people go, hey, that's the work, that's Shannon's work, it's this big, you know what I mean? And it uh, comes out of my little MacBook Pro speakers, but in fact, no way, Jose. And of course, we try with every video work on there to have installation shots as well to give this intentionality to it. Uh, and sometimes we just have an excerpt of a work because we still want to make this kind of work known in the world, if you like. Um. So the museum is, is, in a way, the guardian of that larger experience. Is that...? It does take a machine to play a painting. 
it, it does yeah. take the painting on the wall in the Edom Art Gallery for it, you know, to create this kind of sense yeah. of encounter. And I think yeah. the same thing applies with the moving image. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, uh, that, I find that very, very interesting. I'd like to talk a little bit about presentation. Um, Shannon, you know, if, say, to Papa bought your work and the next time you walked into the museum you found it playing... You know, I'm thinking of one of your big projections and the care you take to present your work. And you walked in and there it was on a monitor um, in the corner amongst a whole lot of other stuff. I'd be sad by that. That okay. would make me a little bit sad. <laughs> right. Yeah. So um, there's as much tied up in the presentation of your work as in, I mean, obviously it's everything else that's gone into it, but that ultimate output yeah, it, it, is the experience. I mean, for me, uh, my intentions are most closely realised, um, I guess, when I'm in charge of those things or when I'm kind of feeling like I'm directing the manifestation of the work. It's, it's really, it's fascinating to me. You know, Mark is one of the people that I talk to about this kind of stuff often because it's, you know, this conversation around where does the work exist is the reason why I don't have any stuff on circuit. I love circuit, and I'm a big supporter of it, or try to be, and I'm a supporter of Mark, uh, of Mark and all that that organisation entails, but just doesn't feel right for me. And I love that, by the yeah. way. I, I think it's brilliant. And um, more and more I think it's brilliant in this pandemic era where everything's going, like toothpaste out of a tube. I'm so pleased you actually both said that because I was it was a question that I w wanted to ask but I didn't want to embarrass either no, of you no, so no. it's so great that you we actually We talk about that about stuff it. on a yearly basis so I reckon we have that we've, we've revisited <laughs> that conversation and it's interesting I, I guess I would kind of not draw a parallel but I think in the same way that kind of this medium prompts some interrogation of uh, the economic value systems at play. I think it, the same thing, I think there's this, a relatable kind of narrative happening around how the work can be shared, exchanged, displayed um, in terms of, uh, I guess, the detail of kind of care uh, in relation to the artist's original intentions. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, th I think this show has, um, we've run the gamut of, of, yeah. of different responses to that. So the Arthur Jaffer, which was, you know, the big uh, challenge for us to get that work because we went through um, a dealer uh, and a very high-end dealer and the stipulations and, you know, it's it's absolutely untrue to say that video is the cheap option. It, you know, in some instances it can be, you know, and if you, you can hire a tape from somewhere and it'll arrive and you pop it in the machine, it's off, off you go. But in other cases, there's a whole wraparound of requirements. You have to have a certain kind of projector, you have to have a certain kind of space, a certain wall colouring, a certain this, that and the other thing, sound system. Well, with the Arthur Jaffer, we had all of those requirements. Um, I guess, sorry, yeah. uh, one thing I'd add is, I mean, I kind of enjoy, actually, you know, in, in saying all that, I have my kind of like optimal version of the work or whatever, but I, I guess one of the things that attracts me to working in such a way is the ability to be flexible, you know? So I guess, like, in whatever paperwork I sign, 
if, if somebody's acquiring one of the works, at the end of it is uh, some, uh, you know, a clause that will say something like, if I'm alive, just talk to me about it. You know, it's like, here's a good version of it in the way that I've done it before, but if it can't happen that way and, and we're able to, let's just figure it out, you know, and so I guess the, um, maybe my stance is kind of feathering or softening or kind of becoming more nuanced in terms of kind of where the work does exist because I enjoy the fact that it, you can catch a glimpse of it if I send you a link, actually, and you can catch a version of it if it's within a kind of group context that might be how I would have done it at um, the Adam Art Gallery or whatnot, you know, but um, so I guess I want my cake and to eat it too, and <laughs> well, maybe video allows me to do that. <laughs> the other work that I found intriguing to well, they've all been interesting challenges and I've really enjoyed figuring out how to present the work. But the Matthew Griffin here, you know, starts life as these little tiny Instagram posts that he puts up and they're, in, they're short. And, you know, the, the instructions that came with this work, I mean, it, it, there's, there's, there's a whole sort of essay to be written about artists' instructions or dealers' represent, you know, galleries' instructions. The Arthur Jaffe is a page of certain kinds of instructions. Um, Matthew Griffin's is almost a kind of parody of that, um, but it's just as precise. So it's the, the media description for this work is 133 videos on a big TV. And, you know, that, that is a very loaded description. Um, uh, and we, you know, he wanted it really, really big. So there's, there's something, the meaning of the work for me um, is not just in how it is presented there, but in the fact that it was first, these little things were put out and you, you'd watch them, you know, by chance on your, on your Instagram feed and they just came over time, probably over at least a year. And then the experience of it, seeing it here in this format is different. And that's, I think for me, that's one of the lessons I want to convey or the enthusiasms that I want to convey is that, um, yes, you can get a certain amount of watching it for one second here, but if you watch it for 53 minutes and that's its duration, something builds and the work actually takes its full effect over that passage of time. Um, so I, I just love the way that, that video artists um, can encode their own um, meaning by positioning their work in relation to this other field of image making that's going on. So Arthur Jaffer spends all this time telling you exactly how it has to pre be presented, but then you look at the, the image and it's a whole lot of crappy footage that he's stolen, you know, from Facebook and YouTube and various other things um, thrown together. Um, I'm not... I'm really just talking now. I'm not really formulating a question. Um, but, you know, I'm just, I'm just trying to get further along this line of um, wanting to encourage people to understand that, that you might have a link or you might go onto the circuit, 
but you're not necessarily seeing the real thing, right? Um, well, I'm just going to keep referencing that what we're doing here. Is that okay, everyone? Um, I guess just like thinking about how these works and just maybe myself when I'm in that position, um, draw relationships or, you know, I, I guess configure kind of meaning in their work or uh, ambition in their work or politicise their work in reference to, for example, our experience of mass media kind of elsewhere. I mean, there's a couple of really interesting things happening in this exhibition for me, but also just as an artist working in that medium, like, you know, duration becomes like a really, that, that's like always like, what, like, how long is it? I'm like, and I'll be like, my works are short, you know, I'll say 11 minutes or something like that, and they're like, Oh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, so that, those kinds of things are funny to me too. But but also, um, oh, you know, I, I guess they're paramount to me actually, not just funny. They're kind of like deep set in my thinking around anything I'm kind of making and presenting. Uh, and also, I, I guess the thing that I... Uh, am excited about with the collection of work in this show is that this is like everyone and this is only with the invention of video tape actually you know that was our first instance of being able to do this was to grab the bits of uh, mass media that were out there and kind of uh, reconfigure them to our own repurpose them towards a different kind of um, towards different kind of games, you know? And so um, I think you can only do that if you know what's going on uh, with an awareness of what's happening out, out there and to kind of like, you know, this thing down here, this uh, Arthur Jaffer work downstairs is like a, just a really pretty simple work to describe and, a, and, and probably quite a pragmatic one in a sense to kind of make actually. Uh, on some level, it's kind of not rocket science, but I think it's like the awareness of uh, all of those things, A, what's happening out there, um, how all of the structures that allow all of that material to circulate actually kind of uh, are at play in the world, and I guess the kind of acumen to uh, draw from that expanse in a way that's like completely politically pointed is, um, I, I, I think, a trait that was kind of available to artists, obviously in that particular way, uh, since the conception of video art. There we go. <laughs> I'm dropping my mask. <laughs> I'm just smelling, Tina, around something you said around the experience of this work as Instagram videos and then its representation here. And it strikes me that these works, or this particular medium, allows for iteration. And so every time you present it in a particular way, that is a different iteration of that work. And I think there's change that's happening, at least in the museum and gallery sector, that acknowledges that. And then where, where you have the ability to talk to the artists, you know, like to bring them in so that they're authoring 
how that's looking different in this time. And then when you have Arthur Jaffer's work downstairs, like that's such an interesting comparison between the two, because clearly the set of instructions is trying to make sure that every iteration is as close to the artist's intention as you could get it, down to the meterage, which is very, <laughs> when you said that, that's so, I've seen these things from the projection to the far, but how centered something is in the space of the room. And so I think there's just that spectrum of like how you manage those things where you, as I think from a, if I could just put my collector's hat on, uh, I, the, that's the challenge that I'm faced with. If we go from one iteration to another, as a museum, should we still be preserving that first iteration and then the second and then the third? So it is a huge thing, but a good thing to be talking about because while we're here and while we want to show the work, if we could just use Shannon, sorry Shannon, you're the only artist on this panel, um, we want to show Shannon's work as it is now, you know, in 50 years time will there be art historical interest to see the first very iteration of that work and its first display, those questions are going to, um, we're going to have to keep on thinking through because that's about investment. So like if a video, for example, needed a particular software to be played, do we need to invest in keeping the software legacy too so that we can show it in that particular iteration or do we just keep on changing it and keep on getting software? These are big questions that I know this panel um, that's not for us, it's, I think it's an ongoing thing for us to think around the strategy not being so fixed perhaps and being allow allowed to move as the technology moves but to try and preserve what it is that is the artwork because it might be a spatial consideration as well as the moving image itself. I'm just noticing the time and I'm thinking it's just about time to open it up to the, to the floor. Um, I'm sure there'll be questions out there. But I guess my an observation to sort of throw out there, which I think will generate feedback, is, you know, what I've been struck by in this relatively short history. The 1960s weren't so long ago, but the, the speed with which things have changed and the, the, the you know, the, I suppose the, the memories that the experience of early video or video recorders, all that sort of stuff, right, you know, evokes for me, it puts me in my generation. It, and I remember when I had some artists come over after an opening of a show here called The Tomorrow People, and they came home to my house and they were sitting on the sofa and they were looking at our old TV set. We, you know, we do have a flat screen, we're not that old, but, but we still had our video recorder sitting under the, under the thing and they, they laughed and pointed as if there was some sort of weird contraption that you know, looked like an antique in the room and I sort of thought, oh, Anyway, um, <laughs> you know, uh, and the stories about how Dara Birnbaum got the material that she used to make this work, or Megan Dunn in the lift, you know, how she actually got the Calvin Klein advertisements um, and put them together. You know, the, the, there's, there's, a, there's, there's some fantastic stories about how difficult it was to access images, and that's exactly where you started, Mark. How, you know, you had to go somewhere or find something or, you know, secure something. But now we're in a different age, right? We're in a time where there's everything out there. Um, and I guess my big question is, um, 
you know, can we imagine the history of video continuing um, in a, a smooth and uninterrupted fashion? Or is work being made now of a different order because of the, the ways in which we all can now produce our own videos literally on the thing we carry around in our pockets every moment of the day? I mean, are we just, is this some kind of progression and expansion or have we, you know, are we going to drop off a cliff and is it going to be really different after this? Um, thoughts from the panel? As a it's Mark Zuckerberg's metaverse, isn't it? It's <laughs> right. I mean, it will be the world of uh, augmented reality um, that is next, I think, and the immersion of the body within a three-dimensional space, I think. And artists will start working in that space. We'll have, have be having this talk in a, one of those spaces. Right. I mean, we have a primitive version of it called Zoom at the moment, I suppose. Yeah, yeah that's right. Nina, what are your thoughts on where we're heading? Um, I think from a museum sector place, we're always on catch-up. And so I feel like us trying to catch up with the technology and trying to preserve it, it's kind of a constant. So in terms of um, dropping off, my thing is no, absolutely not. Because I think a lot of some of these ideas, particularly in the early work, if I think about uh, Rossa downstairs, there are echoes and traces of that in contemporary video today. And so you want to be able to show the way that these ideas kind of uh, develop over time or they rehash over time. When I look at the um, Richard Sierra work, I think about algorithms which I think is the same, and I think that's, there's a similar parallel around what they're talking about in terms of that media and to, to today. So I think we're going to continually want, and I think this is also my own positionality, you know, we're going to want to be able to reference where we've come from in a lot of ways, even if we do go all to the ways of AI and, you know, we're all kind of immersed. I think there is a need to protect something, even though it's rapidly changing, so that we know the decisions we're making, and that goes right down to the decisions we make around how we display things. So that's my aspiration, is that we um, probably treat it more as a distinct field, distinct area of collecting, and hopefully that's something that's within our current time. And just on that point, and just thinking about it now, we have a very early Lisa Rehana in the exhibition. You have an iteration of In Pursuit of Venus. What's the journey that you can see in Lisa's evolution? Oh, that's a good one. Um, for me personally, and, I, and this is just knowing Lisa and the kind of work she's made over time, and I think around the work downstairs, and then I acquired Hypergirls, that she made with Annie O'Neill, and, and then we go into In Pursuit of Venus, and someone that is, you know, really, really mastered this kind of language of video and moving image making. But there are threads, like her particular focus on garments and dress, those things are really carefully kind of thought about and put into work. The idea of juxtaposition you see that comes out technically in WOG features with the jump screens and stuff, and then with the stop motion animation, right through to the current work in Pursuit of Venus, where you've got a panorama of a moving image. So I, I think, and, and it's not surprising to me that in Te Papa's collection, Lisa is probably one of the artists that we probably trace the best in terms of her engagement with moving image. So I definitely think there are ways of thinking about the medium that is very Lisa. 
that is about paying t particular attention to the way that a scene is set. And I've interviewed her about In Pursuit of Venus a couple of times, and you know, it is what's invisible for audiences is that high level of production and planning. And every bit of In Pursuit of Venus is a scene script. You know, that's, you're not seeing that, you're not seeing the multiple um, crews around it, the dress, the makeup. There's a production level that I think is quite invisible, but is definitely there. And I think if I could just do the one plug around the economics, is that you get the spectrum where you can do studio-based work, rip videos off Instagram, and then edit it on your comp. Then you go to the other end that's more filmic and cinematic, where I'd like to say Shannon places, where there's other people, cinematographers coming in, constructing images. So there is a kind of really broad area of moving image. And Lisa, you can see that, like moving in terms of production levels to something like In Pursuit of Venus. Yes, well, if, if we take the Richard Serra work, I think, you know, as a starting point, that, that's definitely from a world in which there was the kind of corporate media, this idea of mass media. We're a very long way from that now. And I think there's just been a kind of a, a closing up between, um, between that, which has been completely decentered. And I, I think the model of that is kind of a transmission from the one, the one source to the many. Whereas I think we're in a world now where the many are communicating with the many in a kind of horizontal framework. So that's a very vertical framework, I think, which is happening. And then outside that, we get the idea of the vanguard video artist being able to look at it and critique it. And so in a kind of privileged position. Whereas I think now, I think, and I think I would draw upon this idea developed by this writer, Mitchell Stevens, is this idea of video as kind of media speak. It's kind of what, it's, it's like a form of speech that we're on social media where people are using it in the same way that they might, you know, use writing or, 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 or talk, talking to somebody, that kind of thing, through that way. And so that's happening on a very large scale. And I think it's completely changed. Uh, in other words, video has become pervasive in a sense. Like, it's not something that, um, on the one hand, there's television, which, you know, using a line, just 520 lines, on, on, on the television image, which then ultimately gives way to pixels, you know, in terms of the digital video. There's that kind of thing. And then, then the, um, the, the uh, video artist, you know, using the porter pack in the early, in the, in the 60s and 70s and that kind of thing. And um, being able, because of, because of changes in portable technology and what have you, which was really, took a long time to happen in film, I'd have to say, which is not a lot before that, or the 16 mil revolution and the Nagra tape recorder, that kind of thing, which opened up film uh, to more people and to people outside the corporate media. And so I think uh, we're well down the track from that now, and uh, it raises interesting questions about uh, how the artist positions him or herself in a world where everybody is a user of video. And the same thing has happened with the photography, and this idea was taken up by Nathan Jurgensen, is that the, idea, the social photo idea. That does kind of problematize the idea of the, the photographic artist as such, which was already um, being problematized by the concept of artists who use photography as opposed to photographers who are medium specific. And it's the same with artists who use video. I mean, Shannon would know that wouldn't want to be restricted to being 
classified as a video artist. We want to be an artist who does what he needs to do. Does what he needs to do with whatever whatever suits the project. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So I think with those things, I'll hand it over to Shannon. It is uh, amazing to see a couple of Lisa Rehana's works up in town that span, you know, really quite different moments in, in Lisa's career. One of the things that is kind of stable is that in each context of, the context of each of these works, production and uh, I guess initial kind of presentation, Lisa was, is still pioneering something, you know, and so I think there's something about, well, I guess what I want to acknowledge is, I guess, artist roles, good artist roles anyway, is just kind of like being at the vanguard, vanguard, that's not quite the word I mean, maybe, but um, I guess being aware of kind of um, how technology can kind of open up, um, you know, possibilities for us. Artists are always there then. I think video as an art artistic medium took off because it was instantly accessible like that too. And I think the other thing that I think, especially if I think about Lisa's work or, and, and all the other, uh, you know, a lot of the works in this exhibition, that kind of accessibility to the technology and also I guess the implication of that being we are able to um, recoup agency over our image consumption, but also our kind of self-image, you know, in light of that, I think that is kind of, you know, and I, I think we would probably all agree, those kind of politics are kind of in a, in a new space because of, uh, I guess, whatever, to use a crude, crude term, mass media is now, is th those kind of politics, that kind of discussion and that kind of, I don't know, even kind of volatility, uh, intersectionality are kind of like in a really different space because of the way technology's kind of mutated. Um, I don't know what that means, and I don't know what that means for kind of video artists, but I, I, I guess in light of your question, I'll be observing kind of where the new technologies settle and become accessible. And um, I guess kind of, uh, am kind of observing the different ways that kind of communities are kind of networked and so are kind of conversations, really. I still think there's a whole lot of questions. I think the future is, is actually quite complicated, but I still think that what will happen is that artists will be the ones who draw attention to this thing and use the medium that's out there to talk back to whatever it is, whether it's blockchains or NFTs or whatever else is, you know, monetizing experience. There will be people who will want to criticize that or talk about it. And I do feel that that is a role for artists to play. 
So thank you, speakers. It's been a great pleasure having you here. And thank you all for your patience and interest in this topic. And I'd love to hear your thoughts. And do please engage with all of us speakers to carry on this conversation. So thank you all for coming. Thank you.